Lectionary Lab Live is recorded by Two Bubbas and a Bible live from Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to get up with you today. We're going to talk a little text and think about preaching as we prepare for the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. These are the texts for August the 2nd, 2020. Um. Nothing else much to say except that we got some fine texts and let's start rolling right through them. I expect you have at least considered something of a, a theme. Uh, I have. Oh, and uh, we'll kind of see how these, these texts roll out with that. Tell me what you got on your mind today. Well, first of all, and nobody's raised this question with me. May I don't think they've raised it with John, but I just something I wanted to let y'all know that we're aware of. So, these are unusual times all the way around. We've mentioned the pandemic, but we haven't talked much about politics, and that's not because John and I are unaware of the situation <laughs> that is in life out there, and it's not because either of us is afraid to speak our mind when we believe that the gospel and the text calls us to it. Mm -hmm. uh, we can give you chapter and verse of various people who will attest to that over the last few years. <laughs> from congregations. So that's, uh, but, but on this show, we do believe as Tip O'Neill said about politics, all politics is local. If you don't remember Tip O'Neill, he was, um, you know, Democrat, Famous speaker of the house. Speaker of the house from Boston, and and that's what he had. And he, of course, rep House of Representatives. All politics is local, and it it does mean that. And all preaching is local mm -hmm. in a very real sense. The preaching that those of us who prepare and listen to the show do is generally to a local congregation in a local place in a particular denomination in a particular set of folks. So John and I see our job as to explore the text and point some directions and trust the Holy Spirit to guide our listeners in understanding how these particular texts and these particular ideas and things need to be fleshed out in your local congregation. So uh, um, we're very much aware of uh, coronavirus, good numbers going up, poll numbers going down, people being sent to various cities and people worrying about that. All of that we know is there, and we trust that you know it too. And our job is to talk about these texts in a way that can perhaps inspire and help illumine for you something that you need to say in your place to your people in your, and John, I've spoken for us. I've said we several times. Says, now is your time to say, speak for yourself, I, Delmer. I, I thought it was just because we didn't have an opinion on any of this. <laughs> but, uh, that's not true either. Yeah. Uh, and if we ever do cross the line and getting a little too opinionated, we don't mind people holding us 
accountable for that. Yeah. But you are absolutely right. This uh, our time together is discussing the texts and uh, understanding somewhat that context in which those texts uh, first appeared. Uh, not ignoring our own context, and we often talk about that uh, certainly uh, overall. But in terms of what a work, what will preach in Peoria, as uh, David Buttrick used to co-opt to that yeah. uh, Broadway line. Uh, that really is up to you and up to me. And, and we both preach uh, in yeah. local contexts. And yeah. so um, I have to think every week, what are the folks in my congregation in Venice, Florida? What, what's this, uh, you know, what's this text mean in their context? So yeah. who's your uh, yeah. audience? You preaching online? Are you worrying about your four or five classmates or somebody who from seminary who might be hearing what you're saying? Are you thinking about those folk that are sitting in your pew that God has called you to break open the word to in a way they can hear and respond to faithfully? Absolutely. You got to remember who your audience is. So there you go. End of that. And I'm talking about themes for the day. We've got, you know, one of these Jacob wrestling. We've got a Psalm of a very personal Psalm. We got Paul, kind of lamenting about his people, the Israelites, and what that means. And, of course, we got the feeding of the 5,000 plus, you know, 5,000 plus there. And uh, so uh, the theme that runs through all four of these, though, I believe, is struggle and wrestling coming off of, of, of uh, Jacob. It was for all of that. I mean, the, the psalm was picked to go with the Genesis text in this semi-continuous reading. But there is... It's not a shoehorn to look at the struggle that goes into each of these texts. You know, struggle with the world, struggle with others, struggle with power, struggle with yourself and what you've done and how you're moving into the future. And ultimately, all of that is a struggle with God, the call to do what you're called to do as opposed to what you want to do sometimes. Genesis, Jacob wrestles with, we'll talk, come back to that in a bit. In the psalm, the worshiper struggles with probably accusers and and with the sense that these people, I, God has to know that I've been good, you know, judging my behalf, and he's struggling with accusers and with his own, maybe his own guilt. Mm -hmm. Romans, Paul is struggling with theology and identity as he struggles with his identity as an Israelite, but also one who has claimed Christ as the Messiah. And what does that mean for the people of his flesh, as he puts it? This is a deep struggle. He's in mm -hmm. anguish here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the gospel, Jesus struggles with the death of his kinsmen which leads him to be struggling, you know, struggles mm -hmm. with what's going to happen to me. They just killed John, who's preaching, and he struggles with, I think, over and over again when he did a miracle, um, people said, don't tell anybody. So he struggled with not wanting to be a showman and balancing that with these people are hungry and I have the power to feed them. So struggling with mission and ministry, the disciples struggling with their call and their lack of sense of the power that God has given them, all kinds of struggle and the people struggling. So struggle is the theme I'm going to walk through today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you read that. Uh, I, I think that'll work, man. And it's, it is, I think it lays out just like that in these texts. So let's follow that through.
Let's walk with Genesis. Of course, you know, you got this wonderful story of Jacob. It's one of the most familiar stories. Um, <laughs> again, John, last week you talked about biblical marriage. Just read Genesis thirty-two twenty-two. He got up and took his two wives, his two maids, which sounds like you know hired help, but it's his concubines and his eleven children, and crossed the ford. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what's happening is you know got to set the and had to take off after he fooled Esau out of his inheritance with those two tricks, you know, with the hairy arm and getting um, Isaac to bless him. And then he needed to, his mama told him to take off and he goes to Laban and he gets married and he has kids. It's been a while and he's got a lot of stuff and now it's time to go home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he's pretty nervous because he hadn't been in communication. They, they weren't on Facebook. They hadn't been texted. They hadn't had any communication. He wasn't sure how Esau was going to treat this. So he's tentative. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise, everything he had. This is the boundary line, and he sent them on ahead. He's staying back. And then you've got this 24 through 30 in which you've got this thing. Is it a dream? Is it a vision? Did did some? We don't know. We just have to take the story as it is. And part of it is he struggling with. Is he struggling with his guilt, with his fear? Uh, what's what is he struggling with? Uh, you know, there's some ancient stuff I wouldn't mess with too much of of uh, pre pre theology. Three. I'm trying to say theism stories you know of spirits yeah. at the river you know and that might have worked in this we need to deal with what we got here yeah yeah is, you could you could, you, you could really easily get off into a lecture about the varieties of theophanies and genesis and yep. all the theistic approach and uh, why go there. waste a good story exactly. in the context of a sermon right why waste a good story you can in you the, can in the classroom, yeah, in the classroom, nobody loves chasing stuff like that better than me. But in the yep. sermon, don't pass up this story. And my, you said, well, you know, is it true? My immediate response is, does it matter? Does it matter? Well, no, the truth yeah, is, it, it, is it is it true at all? Well, it may not be factual, but it's definitely true. It's true. It's true, true. to life. It's true. So yeah. I, I love, first of all, the man with no name who eventually becomes God, the mm-hmm. God with no name, mm. because at the very end, he says, I have seen God, but throughout mm-hmm. until then, it was the man. Yeah, the second thing is he's wrestling in whatever it is. And when the man saw that Jacob was about to get the best of him, he put his hip out of socket. Mm-hmm. That's polite. As a friend of mine says, if you wrestling with God, you got to know that God cheats. He will kick you into privates. And I like that. Uh, y'all can do with it what you will. But the idea is that God will cheat. God cheated to win, and but wouldn't let him go. And then there's this great change of Jacob's name from Jacob to strig- struggle. Mm-hmm. Israel, he has striven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has. Gaza, he become, and the great history of name changing this is a name change story that is to indicate a change in jacob's character as he becomes israel that he has 
struggled one last one time that has ultimately changed him but it wasn't just this time it was the times he struggled along and i think it's important that he limped away from this encounter and we limp often limp away encounters with the truth about ourselves mm. we, we limp away these are just some of the things i'm thinking this story is so rich with imagery that has to do with someone who is ultimately confronting himself in the face of God mm-hmm. and dealing with his life history and his future. And he gets wounded, but he walks away. A he walks away. Yeah, that's it. Like uh, most of the stories we've been reading this summer in this series, this one certainly stands on its own better than, than some of the others. Uh, we pointed out last week that, whole uh, Rachel and Rachel and Leah and Uncle Laban tricking Jacob. That story doesn't necessarily stand on its own quite as nicely uh, as a story like this one. However, I want to remind those of you who have been working with this series, today you have the benefit. This is the fourth time, fourth uh, episode in this saga that yeah. we have had with Jacob. And the connection of one story to the next to the next. We have been seeing Jacob progress. We've been watching his life, if you will, from the time he was born. He was a struggler. It's where his name comes from. Yaakov, pulling the leg, pulling on his brother, always competing. And he lives that out as the uh, uh, artful dodger, uh, perhaps. Uh, He is always here, there. Yeah, that's it. He's... And, and so, in a way, Jacob's been struggling all his life. And we watched that last week for the first time. He met someone that got the better of him. Uh, you could argue that on the way, he, he certainly got a glimpse of someone higher than him with the vision at Bethel. Uh, but so, Jacob's life has been changing. Now, this man who has struggled... Yeah. Uh, the whole time, uh, we're going to get the big one here. This is the payoff. And you set it up very well. We have an encounter here with an unknown personage at first. But as it goes, Jacob certainly sees the story as a struggle with God. I think you could easily see the struggle within himself and the struggle with God and all of these uh, themes that we've been following in his life all come together here. Um, Interesting that the the story really begins after he sends off the wives and children and all that. Jacob was alone. Yep. Jacob was left alone. And and that, he's been heading for this moment all his life. And that's often with all the other props we're used to, all of the other people we often have around. When it's all gone, when we're left alone, that is often where we experience some of the deepest um, levels you know, in our life. This 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 ties in a lot with uh, you know I had said about Luther's but Luther's uh, theology of the cross, in which it talks a great deal of the hiddenness of God. Mm-hmm. You know, we're struggling and we don't know it's God we're dealing with. You know, and the theology of the cross, and the other one is a the we encounter God and we get, we, we, everything gets wonderful, you know, bless, you know, all this excitement. And we, we have those moments, but a, a life transforming encounter with God is wounding. Mm-hmm. 
if it's if it really works it's per is wounding and jacob is an example of of someone who has a an honest and open encounter with god that both wounds and heals we uh, all, yeah we often hear in our time uh i'm reminded of the youth group skit from my coming up days top that testimony uh, we're always we're always drawn to someone who stands up and in effect says, "I met God and my life was changed." Yeah. Well, that's Jacob's testimony, really. Here, uh, he yeah. meets God and buddy, his life has changed. But it's it's maybe not in the way we always think. Quickly, yeah. I, I want to be consistent. I've, uh, every week, I've raised the questions. Okay, so what do we learn about God? And what do we learn about God's relationship with God's people from these texts? I believe today we see a God who persists. Yep. And really, when you get to the root of the name Israel, Israel, uh, it's really about God striving. Yes. yes. God is striving. And now Jacob is the one who has become the striver. You've, you've, you've struggled with with men you've struggled with god but jacob you're an overcomer and that is i believe uh, something about god the god who persists and we're in the third getting ready for the fourth generation of the covenant and we've seen god persisting in some cases despite the behavior of those chosen to cooperate or to participate right. with god exactly. in his work I think one of the trans transformations that happens here, and this plays with the word in with in English. Mm -hmm. So you could say up until now, uh, Jacob wrestled against God mm -hmm. and against other men. Mm -hmm. And then this transformation to becoming from Jacob to Israel, he is one who wrestles with on the side of God and with God mm -hmm. as they go forward. Wrestling still happened, but are you wrestling against or are you wrestling with? That's it. So uh, that's we see a God who persists, and and we see now a man, a human. We see Jacob, the central character, as one who submits. Finally, uh, that's not a popular word these days. You might think of a, a one who surrenders, or what I like to think, and what I'm working with here. Here is Jacob who finally lets go. Yeah. And the, the character says, let me go. And yeah. Jacob finally lets go of so much in his life. Yeah. He lets go of so much. And in so doing, the continuing work of God is enabled. God's work goes on. And I, I wrote a side note after I'd done my first think through. And I, I, I said, and what God does is not particularly dependent on us. In other words, God's faithfulness in keeping the covenant, God's faithfulness in working in the world may well involve us, and we are often invited into it, but it is not a work of our own. It is not God waiting until we get everything right, and then God can work for us. One of the interesting things here for me, and we need to move on, is that that he sends everybody over, and it said he was left alone, and a man wrestled with that we know is God. 
came to him in a moment, not when he was looking for God, not when he was trying to prove he's good enough for God, not when he's asking God to bless me and all this stuff. It came to him in a very vulnerable place where he was so scared. He sent his family across toward where his brother was and he stayed behind struggling with his life. And God came. God, this is the priority of God's action that we find throughout the scriptures, that God revealed God's self to Jacob in the midst of his misery and his struggling. I've seen the face of God. You don't get a better expression of God's revelation no. than that. I've, I've seen the face of God in the midst of struggle. And now in the midst of pain, that ain't never going to let me forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so quickly with the psalm, it's uh, Psalm 17. Uh, it's a personal psalm prayed by a person who's beset by some kind of trouble. And he's trying to show to God, you know, you know, judge on my side. Look at how good, how I've been and all this stuff. The connection to the story in Genesis primarily in verse 3, if you visit me by night, if you test me, that's a kind of reflection on that. And then verse uh, 15, the end, I shall behold your face in righteousness reflects back to that line that said, I've seen God face to face, etc. So you can play with it that way. Mostly the rest of the psalm is about someone who's pleading that they're being un falsely accused and inviting God to weigh in on their side. So moving to the Romans text, this is a short text, only five verses, and it really is Paul's very personal struggle with what is theologically referred to as supersessionism. Mm -hmm. He is, you know, you, and, and, and it is that he says, okay, the Jews did all, my, my, my people, my Israelites, my flesh, I am such an anguish. I would, no, the, the depth of what he says, I will be separated spiritually dead in on behalf of these people i care so much about them i wish that i could were a curse and cut off for christ for the sake of my own people because what he's struggling with and can't come to an answer about clearly but he got some points in some directions is they gave us all this and yet they those who have not accepted i don't want to say accepted christ but do not see jesus as the messiah He's out. What is their fate if they do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah? But there's a very important word that I'm I'm really working with here, and I think I don't think I'm stretching it. You start with the first three verses of the great sorrow and the anguish, my conscience, etc. I wish I could be accursed. Because how much he But he says they are Israelites, and to them belong. And then he goes through this list of the with the gifts of the Jews. Mm -hmm. You know, the an whole the, an the, impressive the, list of the covenant, impressive list to the end. But notice he said, to, he does not say to them belonged, not past tense. He says to them belong. So his struggle is not, I think, are they going to be lost and cut off from God if they do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah? His struggle is his awareness that for him, Christ is the Messiah and completes his faith as an Israelite and his struggle with so many who don't. And how does he bridge that paradox and ambiguity? And the worst way to bridge it is supersessionism saying, well, they had, you know, all of that, that Jesus, that God did 90% of our Bible, just throw it out. 90, all that stuff God was doing with the chosen people doesn't count anymore. 
that's not how it works mm -hmm. and paul is struggling with that so i think a di another place to put that is we live in a very diverse world of people with diverse faiths and various gifts and i think for christians we have to struggle like paul did if you're going to talk about somebody else's faith that you are not sure how that works you better be able to quote nine three and mean it you care enough about those people you're worried about that you wish yourself accursed and cut off for christ for their sake if you're there then you can talk about how do we deal with that but if it's just we're right and those people are wrong mm -hmm. way we do this I we agree. Have a conversation about love and look at the gifts the others bring and where That's is it. Christ in it. That's it. And I, I agree. And I believe we need to be honest in saying this is Paul opening up his struggle. He's struggling yep. to understand. And notice that that verse three does not say, yeah. uh, I wish that I were accursed and cut off from Christ instead of my kin. Yep. No. They're cut off and accursed, and it's often read that way from people. I, no, no, no. I, I was taught that. See, he's saying they're cut off and accursed. Not at all. Read the text. Read the text. I would face that fate if my kinsmen, who are these marvelous gifts, could understand the fullness that I have discovered in Christ. And, and, and it's important here to see this text, if you want to preach on this text, to see this text as more question than answer. It's affirmation of what God has done with the Jews. It's affirmation of Paul's mm -hmm. relationship with Christ and questions about how that relates mm -hmm. and how do you work that out and how do you do it in love. And for us, that then becomes how not only how do you relate to your Jewish brothers and sisters, it's about Muslims, it's about Hindus, it's about people who are, have no faith. How do you to them in love? And how first thing you do is you identify their gifts and yep. how God has been active in them and then find a connect, try to find a connection point. And this text is more about that kind of spiritual wondering mm -hmm. than it is about any definitive answers about that theological puzzle. That's a great point. And besides, verse 1 gives the opportunity for another great sermon title. I know y'all haven't had one from me in a while. So I love it. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I ain't lying. I ain't lying. I ain't lying. I if ain't I'm lying, lying, I'm dying. Yeah, that's it. You know? <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. All right, yeah. let's, let's get from the silliness to Matthew. Uh, this text begins with one of those wonderful transitions that just say, oh, what? You got to look back. Now, when Jesus heard this, what is this? The beheading of John the Baptist. It ain't good. You know, and y'all can look it up. I don't have to go too deeply. The, I'm talking to a bunch of people who are supposed to know the Bible, so y'all know the story of John the Baptist getting off uh, and confronting King Herod and all of that. So the question is, so he withdrew. What did he withdraw for? for? He's very human. This is his kinsman. I don't know, not first cousin, but some form of cousin. They grew up together. I sort of they knew each other. I need some time. I need some time. I need to grieve. And part of that grief is personal at the loss of this person that he was obviously so close to personally and spiritually. This man baptized him. The man had had was his forerunner and, and et cetera, et cetera. But also he has to worry about, okay, if they're going to kill him, 
you know i mean i know that i came and i know that the cross is where i'm this is leading but uh this is getting real you know the the drums just got a lot closer yeah and so he goes off to pray and be by himself but when the crowds heard it they followed on foot from the towns i mean he had already been to establish just a thing and so when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And in the midst of his own pain, he still had compassion. Now, I want to know something that always fascinates me. He had compassion for them. And so he preached them a great sermon and taught them the meaning of several important theological propositions that we all know. Cured their sick. Asked that they all make a profession of faith before he could do anything. Yeah, for them. and baptized them, and they had to go to their programs at his church. No. He cured their sick. And it was a game on evening, and this is a second. The disciples came to him and said, these people's hungry, and we don't have anything for them. Send them away. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to do a direct application to many churches I've served, because I've mostly, by choice, served small membership churches. But tend to have, a, and, and even larger churches, have a tendency to focus on what we have not got. Mm-hmm. rather than what God will provide. We do not. We are not called to sit down and look and say what resources we have, then decide what ministry we can do. We are called to look at the world's need and then, with God's help, find a way to meet it. And that's that's kind of my application right, right there, is we're looking at a world's need. They looked at this, but they looked at this need and said, they need to go buy food for themselves. We can't help them. And Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And he said, well, we all, this is all we've got. We don't have enough. We're just a little church. Anything for them. Jesus said, bring them here to me. Take what you have and give it to God. And look at the mission with your open hearts and eyes, and unbelievable, I'm serious, unbelievable things will happen. And I'm not, I'm not one of those people that goes around, people that know me, that this is not a, a spirit thing and a Pentecostal thing, or, you know, I'm not nothing against Pentecostal. Just, I'm, this is me saying, my experience has been the need that God puts in front of you first and begin thinking about ways to meet it, things happen that you begin to be able to meet the need that's there. If you only focus on what you have when the need arises, you'll not do anything because mm-hmm. you're not going to have the resources. And that's one of those happens. So he ordered them to sit down, took the loaves and the fishes, and they ate and filled and all of that. And then you've got 12 baskets full. I think that is very significant biblical number of baskets it's a sign that matthew's using one of the other things is that to please note that when he took the fish love loaves and two fish the action he takes is the same action that he takes in the road to emmaus and other times of a meal so it's a eucharistic action i believe that matthew is showing it he take looked up to heaven he blessed broke the bread and gave it to the disciples the disciples gave it to the the crowd so it's take bless give and we think about we take what god gives we lift it up to god and then we give it to those whom god has asked us to serve we don't want to look at what we lack we want to look 
uh, at what we have and, and through the needs of the, uh, through the lens of the needs that are around us, God does with uh, what we have. And, and you're right. I've seen it again and again and again. I, I'm not trying to be uh, anything either uh, other than to say I've just seen God do amazingly uh, large things with pitifully small gifts willingly and heartfully given and don't look at what you lack uh, what do you have and i i just I say this all the time to my folks who do we have what can they do let's do that when when the church says oh we can't do oh we we can't have a big program like first church down the road we don't have good gospel singers like those people we don't have it well who do we have what can they do? Let's do that. Yeah. Henry Reed, Henry Reed, out of his experience in World War II, wrote a poem called The Naming of Parts. And I'm just going to do the first beginning of it. Today we have the naming of parts. Yesterday we had daily cleaning and tomorrow morning, two after firing. But today, today we have the naming of parts. This is the lower sling swivel and this is the upper swing swivel whose head use you will see and when you are given your slings this is the piling swivel and when in your case you have not got the branches hold in the gardens their silent eloquent gestures which in our case we have not got the refrain throughout this poem is which we have not got and the counterbalance to the disciples saying well we would do something but with if we had da 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 da, da but which we have not yet do it is to say, take what you have, give it to God. And then what you've got will be what God is using you to provide to the world. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, man. One, one little aside. If you need a feminist sermon, verse 21, you can show the prevailing patriarchy of the authors of the gospel, 5,000 men besides the women and children. I just find that fascinating, and you can do with it what you will. But, we hope uh, the women and the, the five thousand. They just sort of push the women and children aside. There, they oh me, oh me. All God's of not happy. I threw that in, but I had to. <laughs> and fortunately, John gets to edit the show. So. That's right. <laughs> if y'all don't hear this, let me know. <laughs> Oh, if no, if they're not listening and groaning and laughing at us at this point, then yeah, we did something else with the ending of the show. Bubba, I always enjoy it. I was telling somebody this week how we got started, and 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 they said, "Well, how long you been doing the your podcast?" And I said, "Uh, I don't rightly remember now." <laughs> But it's gone longer than either of us thought it ever would. Ever, we, we just thought our mamas would listen, maybe. Yeah, I, I still enjoy it, and yeah. uh, I reckon we'll keep doing it until we can't enjoy it anymore, or we can't make any sense anymore. Yeah. Uh, Somebody told me this week that they listened, and they had this image of Andy and Barney on the porch talking about the Bible. Well, <laughs> so I said, I, you know, I'll live with it. I'll live with that. <laughs> That's good. All right, Bubba. Not much left for us to do today other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbas and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Safety Net, performed by Riot.
We go out today with Face of God, performed by Phil Wickham. All is calm and all is bright. She sings to him a of God.